You're listening to the Can't Wait Podcast with Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Can't wait! Welcome to episode one of the Can't Wait Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes, our beat writer for the New York Jets here at The Athletic. And you heard Bart Scott in the open there. And I love the name, Connor. I know you helped kind of come up with it, but but Can't Wait seems to be a, a perfect fit for this podcast. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's actually kind of a, a good fit for, for the Jets in, in their current state as well, man. I mean, this is a team that's been dragging for for so long i mean they've they've been desperately trying to find the light at the end of the tunnel and you can kind of feel like that maybe is starting to happen right you know they've got uh someone in joe douglas a gm who seems to know what he's doing they they you know seem like they might have that franchise quarterback as well so uh all things are kind of trending in the right direction for the jets whether or not they they continue to or if they have a couple hiccups along the way we'll see but uh for a team that's been desperately looking for some form of of brightness i think that uh that, that time of day has finally come. So we are going to uh, help shine a light on that brightness. Twice a week, you'll be able to join us here on The Athletic. For the most part, it'll be Mondays and Thursdays, depending on the team schedule. That can change a little bit, but we're excited about this. And um, there'll be kind of that first episode of the week once the season starts. will be a recap of the game and then looking forward to the next week. It's going to be a lot of fun as this team embarks on this new era, the Adam Gase era. Um, and let's start with Gase and the the latest issue with this team. You mentioned all the positives that are going on, but there's a big negative right now. That is the loss of linebacker Avery Williamson, um, the guy that led this team in tackles last year with 120, um, had the MRI on Friday. Torn ACL is the injury after he played well into the second preseason game. And then on Sunday, uh, Adam Gase came out and actually took full responsibility for the injury. So before we dive into this topic, let's hear from the head coach. We have him in a new position compared to what he played in the past. You know, him and Neville were together. You know, the thought process was, you know, getting kind of Neville, his feet wet as far as playing Mike linebacker. He's playing a different position. Wanted Avery to be in there. And, you know, because Neville would be with a guy that's, that's a starter. And, you know, just looking back on it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I wish I would have got him out of there a series earlier, but, you know, I've talked with him and, you know, it's all me. You know, I'm, I'm the one that has to make that call and, and get him out of there. But, you know, we didn't. And that's it's a shame because he was, he was having a good camp. So, Connor, all the other starters were out of the game. Avery's still in there and he gets hurt. And it just kind of makes you scratch your head, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, I don't get it. And I know, you know, I was actually kind of surprised uh, at the reaction because I wrote a little bit about that on The Athletic, just the fact that I didn't understand the reasoning. And even after talking to Adam Gase when we did, uh, he kind of said it, w- it was a mistake and it was a hiccup on, on his part. And he sh- you know, Avery Williamson should not have been in the game at that point. Um, but I was kind of surprised at the reaction from the fan base of, of, you know, it's an injury. Injuries happen. You know, you can't you can't prevent these things. Well, in a way, yeah, you can. I mean, I, I, I get that. What Gase was trying to do is is that Avery's playing a new position, right? Because now he's he's having to play uh, next to he was the basically the Mike linebacker, the Mike middle linebacker last year for the Jets because they had Darren Lee who was playing the weak side inside linebacker. Well, now with C.J. Mosley there, it's Avery who's moving over a little bit, which means that he has a little bit more responsibilities in coverage. He's going to be lining up a little bit different. I mean, the the logistics of, yes, he's a middle linebacker still remain true, but his play-to-play assignments are slightly different. So the Jets were attempting to get him additional reps 
in that role so that he can kind of get more acclimated and, and more comfortable. But at the same time, he's been now doing this throughout all of OTAs, throughout all of minicamp, throughout all of training camp. They kept him in late in the first preseason game as well. You get to the point now where it's like, well, how much more reps does a six-year veteran need? You know what I mean? So I, I understand the concept of getting him additional reps. I understand keeping him in there so you can kind of figure it out. But at the same time, man, I mean, what, what you really need to look at here is that when you have veterans and starters and guys who know they are making the team on the field like you do when those starters are all out there, they're not playing slow. They're not playing timid. But they are, in a way, making some form of business decisions, right? I mean, we saw it a couple years ago when Brandon Marshall was on the Giants. Eli went deep to him, and he kind of just let the ball sail over his head instead of getting whacked by the safety. Like, you'll have veterans do that because they realize that in the grand scheme of things, these games do not matter. However, when you are on the field with those second-string guys, those third-string guys, guys that are fighting to make a roster spot and trying to earn the trust of coaches— well, what they're doing is they're going 100 miles per hour. So what you saw and the way you saw Avery Williamson get hurt was his own teammate diving to try to break up a pass, dove right into his leg and tore his ACL. I mean, those plays are more likely, or I should say more unlikely, more likely to not happen when he's out there with the starters compared to the backup. So look, it, it was it was a mistake. Adam Gase admitted it was a mistake keeping him in that long. Yes, you cannot prevent injuries, but you could have prevented this injury. Yeah, and you mentioned that you know he's moving positions because of Mosley, so Mosley's getting comfortable with a new team and was only in there for about half as many plays as as Williamson was. So a tough situation. So that brings us to the question of now what? Because this is a defense that already isn't good in the secondary, and now you're weakening that linebacking core. So who has to step up to try to fill this void that's been created? Yeah, well, it's it's going to be Neville Hewitt to start. I mean, I think that's that's what we saw in the the Jets green and white scrimmage or well, green and white practice, if you will, that they held uh, on on Saturday they or Sunday. I'm sorry, they'll they'll have Neville Hewitt as the initial guy in there at starting, but there will probably be a rotation. I mean, the other guy I would keep an eye on uh, is Blake Cashman, the rookie. He's someone that really has turned a lot of coaches' heads and impressed a lot of coaches, specifically with his coverage ability. Uh, when he was at Minnesota, he was actually a safety before converting to linebacker and has really taken the coaches by storm. I mean, they were rotating him in there with the starters and giving him opportunities to go one-on-one -on -one against tight end uh, Chris Herndon early there in practice. Uh, the only issue with him, though, is that he's dealing with an injury right now. He tweaked something in his leg, uh, has been out the last two weeks. It doesn't look like he's going to do much this week. He was at the scrimmage, but with a wrap on his leg and you know, if, when you're a veteran and, and you go down and you miss a couple weeks of training camp, it's kind of easy to miss those practices and then just pick up right where you left off after you get your conditioning back. Well, with this guy's a rookie, he's still getting acclimated. So it's pretty detrimental for him to miss this much time. So I don't, it's not like he's going back to square one when he does come back, but the injury is definitely going to take its toll. So I think that, that Hewitt is probably going to be the guy at first. And then it's going to be a matter of let's see what happens. And, and, and we're going to see who the Jets claim and we're going to see who the Jets add and, and, I would expect them to monitor the uh, roster cut down, if you will, uh, come 53-man cut down day to see uh, if there's anyone there that they might, they might be able to pick up and, and plug in there uh, as a potential starter or at anything else, a spot duty guy. I mentioned the secondary. Does this injury, um, is it going to kind of shine more of a spotlight on that fact that the secondary isn't very good right now because they did so much with the other positions against the Falcons to get pressure on Matt Ryan, take that pressure off of the secondary. But when you're weakening that linebacking core, you know, how do they now cover up those deficiencies in the secondary? 
Yeah, it's not. Look, the the secondary stunk before, and I think the at the exception of the safety, the two safeties are good. <laughs> but the cornerback position was not good before. It's not good now. But I think more of the pressure actually to kind of mask those weaknesses falls on the Jets front as opposed to the middle linebacking spot. I mean, yeah. it does a it does a little bit. I mean, Avery Williamson was a pretty good blitzer and a, guy, a good guy against the run. But uh, losing him is not going to be too detrimental for that back end because the Jets are still going to be blitzing and they're still going to be rushing because that's how they're going to have to try to mask these issues. Uh, but I don't think there's going to be too too much of a problem there. I mean, like I said, the, the Jets were not good in the secondary to begin with. They're not really good in the secondary now, and Avery Williamson's injury doesn't really change any of that. They're just going to have to manufacture pressure to keep the the to keep basically the quarterback off his feet. And you kind of saw it against the Falcons a little bit, man, where like when the Jets were able to get home, Matt Ryan was flustered. But when they did not get home. Guys were running wide open. I mean, you saw yeah. Arthur Mollick get beat. You saw Daryl Roberts get beat. That's going to happen in the regular season as well. And that's what happens when you don't have a secondary that can stand on its head at all. That, that if you give the quarterback three, four seconds, someone's going to be open. And if you give the quarterback two seconds against the blitz, where all that secondary is pretty much in one-on-one coverage, they're going to get open even faster. So it, the pressure doesn't necessarily fall on, on ne- Neville Hewitt or Blake Cashman for replacing Avery Williamson. It's still just all on that defensive front and Greg Williams to find a way to get to the quarterback so that they can uh, prevent, obviously, this uh, can mask a little bit of those secondaries issues. So the other thing that the other news that came out of that presser Sunday with uh, Gase was that Le'Veon Bell will not play in the preseason. Um, do you think that decision had been made before they lost a starting linebacker to injury, or or do you think that maybe the the Williamson injury factored into the fact that Bell will not see any time in the preseason? Yeah, Gase said it was it was uh, what was it like fifty? Uh, what do you say? He was ninety nine point nine percent sure Bell wasn't going to play. Uh, I don't know if it was that high, but he definitely was was hedging his bets towards Bell is not going to play when he lost Williamson and he said this the other night is that yeah. that that's confirmed it's not no he's done we're not it's not happening anymore we're not putting Bell in there we're not going to risk it and and you know in some ways I do get it. it it is it is silly to play a guy like Bell in a in a meaningless game where if he goes down uh it, it's it's basically you know done I mean that that's that's a massive blow to this offense but at the same time I mean Part of me says that he should get in there for two or three touches. That that not nothing crazy. Give him a toss, uh, something where he can just run to the sideline and then get out of bounds. Give him a little swing pass, a screen, something like that, just to get hit to see game action. Because you know it, this isn't like the Jets are sitting someone else. You know, someone who's played last year. Bell didn't play all of last season. He hasn't played since what 2017. So I mean, there's a lot of rust that I know he's practiced and I know he's he's taken part in training camp and he's done some of their scrimmages, but. Aside from maybe two or three times in training camp, he has yet to be hit and taken down to the ground. I think it's literally been about, I can probably count on one hand how many times he's actually fallen to the ground with an actual tackle. So maybe the Jets ramp that up a little bit here in the next couple of weeks, and and maybe they do do a few more full contact drills with him so he can get hit. But it it just, to me, man, it, it doesn't, I think he needs to see some kind of playing time. Otherwise, there's going to be a couple weeks there to start the season where he's not going to be full force, where he's still getting his feet wet. And the Jets don't really have that luxury of starting this season slow. They play a murderer's row of teams to start this. I mean, after the Bills, what? It's the it's the Browns. Uh, I think they have the Eagles are in that mix. They play the Patriots. I think the Cowboys as well. You're talking about teams that are that are thinking Super Bowl expectations, and that's who the Jets are playing one after another after another. They need everyone rolling at 100 miles per hour. So while I do understand the the um, decision to not play Bell because you don't want to get him hurt. 
I, I, in my opinion, I would put him out there for at least a couple of touches to try to knock the final little bit of rust off because you need him going 100 miles per hour when this thing starts in uh, early September. Yeah, I agree. I think if he had played last year, absolutely rest oh, him. Oh, yep, totally that, agree. Yep. Yeah, but an entire season off. Man, I mean, it's good to have, to think of the fresh legs and what that's going to bring for Levy and Bell, and there's reason to be optimistic that he'll be able to have an incredible season. But, yeah, a little bit just to take a hit and, and remember what it feels like would, would certainly make a lot of sense. All right, let's talk about the quarterback. Um, we It took us – uh, 12 minutes, I think, to get to the quarterback. So that shows you what else is going around with the Jets right now. But Sam Darnold, um, second year, um, I guess my first question is, thinking back to his rookie training camp and now having gone through his second year training camp, before we talk about the game action, just how how different was he on the practice field, through the drills, through training camp in year number two? He just looks so much more comfortable, man. And, and I think that what blows my mind about the fact he looks so much more comfortable is that he's learning a brand new offense. You know, I, I covered it's I covered the Giants in 2014, the summer of 2014, the first year that they had fired Kevin Gilbride and replaced him with Ben McAdoo. And Eli Manning was an established veteran. Uh, he was a guy that already had two Super Bowls on his resume. He'd made the Pro Bowl. I mean, he was still in the prime of his career. And he looked like a fish out of water learning a brand new offense. I mean, it was it was wild watching this guy. I mean, he looked atrocious, and eventually it took him a while, but then he figured out McAdoo's offense. He ended up putting it together some very, very good years with, with McAdoo before eventually he left. But with that said, he still looked incredibly off and, and just terrible because, again, you're taught one thing. You're learning brand new terminology and everything else next. It takes an acclimation period. Seemingly dating back to OTAs, there has been no acclimation period with Darnold Nagase. The two guys just mesh together, and he looks so much more comfortable this year. He looks so much more decisive in what he's doing. And more than anything else, I think he's shown an ability to avoid the turnover, which is what kind of plagued him his final year at USC and a little bit his rookie year with the Jets. And and part of that is understanding that that there's you can live to fight another down. That, that It doesn't all have to happen right away. You can take some time, and you can say, you know what? Yeah, there's a chance, there's probably a 20% chance that I can complete, complete this 40-yard pass down the field, but there's a little bit greater chance of it being an interception or an incompletion or something bad. Well, why don't I just dump it down here to, to Ty Montgomery or Le'Veon Bell and have them pick up six yards, set up a, a second down and four or third down and two or something along those lines instead of taking the chance of going deep. Not every play has to be a home run, and, and Gase has kind of helped him realize that. And I think that that's been the biggest change is that he's that he's comfortable for, for starters, but he's also understanding more that you can live to fight another day. It doesn't all have to happen right away. And and aside from that, man, he's always had the skill. He's always had the, the deceptive mobility and the deceptive athleticism where he can extend plays with his legs and move around in the pocket. He's already had, had he's always had more than enough arm strength. And now there's even more zip on his passes than there were his rookie year. And his accuracy was never in question. So the fact that kind of that comfortability is coming into play now and, and also him avoiding some turnovers, it's, it's a good thing for the Jets. I mean, this kid, this kid looks very much like he's ready to, uh, to, to take that next step this year. I mean, it's, it's an exciting time if you're following this team. Then on the other side of that relationship, you have Gase, who has worked with Hall of Fame quarterbacks in his career, and they all have glowing reviews of having worked with him and, and the great experiences and what he did to help them. And then he was the head coach in Miami and just didn't have that. He just, it just never, he never had that guy he could work with. So do you see it from that side too? It is, I mean, you obviously weren't there in Miami with him, but does Gase just seem like 
he's on cloud nine knowing that he has oh, this yeah. young quarterback that he can mold. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guy you, you talk, you, you mentioned Darnold in any press conference or even just off the record with him. And I mean, the guy lights up like a schoolgirl talking about like her first boyfriend. I mean, he's he's in love <laughs> with Sam Darnold. I mean, he really is. It, it's like the like he just has this glow in his in his face and in his eyes when he starts talking about this kid. And it's understandable because, I mean, look, what, what people forget about Gase is that. What was it? When, when he when the Dolphins hired him, he was Sean McVay. That's who he was. He was the young, innovative offensive mind that was going to take the NFL by storm. That's who he was. But if you take Sean McVay and you remove Jared Goff and you give him Ryan Tannehill, there's only so much that Sean McVay is going to do. You need the quarterback. And Gase never had the quarterback in Miami. He had flashes a little bit of Ryan Tannehill, but but you know he kind of had to protect Tannehill because Tannehill couldn't protect himself. And then when Tannehill got hurt was when he had kind of the corpse of Jay Cutler, Matt Moore. I mean, there's just the players were not there for for Adam Gase to really have his offense, which is why when you look at those statistics with the Dolphins and you see some of the the pace of offense or the pace of play, so essentially how many plays they were calling and how up-tempo they were, they were near the bottom of the league, and, and that was kind of by design. The, the Dolphins wanted to shorten the game because they felt that if they shortened the game, they would have a greater chance of winning the game. With the Jets, that doesn't have to happen because not only does Darnold have, or Darnold, not only does Gase have the quarterback, but he has the weapons too. He's got Chris Herndon, he's got Le'Veon Bell, Ty Montgomery, Robbie Anderson, Quincy Inunua, uh Jamison Crowder. So even if you don't necessarily have in that receiving core, the Julio Jones, you have enough weapons there on offense where you can have some success. And if the offensive line comes along as well, and at the minimum are able to pass block, he finally is in a position now where he can show the world what he was supposed to show the world when he was with the Dolphins, that he is this innovative offensive mind, that he is this quote-unquote genius on the offensive side of the ball. And he can do it because he finally has the players at his disposal to do what he wants. So I think that Gase realizes this. It's why he's so ecstatic on the sideline. It's why anytime you talk to him off to the side yourself, he's glowing. It's because he realizes that after those turbulent years with the Dolphins where he wasn't really able to unleash himself, he now can with the Jets. All right, let's talk. Let's get into the games themselves with Darnold because he hasn't gotten a lot of game action. But um, the first drive of each game, I think, is what stood out, where he's just taken the field right down the field, the team right down the field, and scored touchdowns in first games. And they've had that up pace, upbeat feel, and and the pacing, and and all of that. Supposedly, offenses for the most part are all vanilla during the you know preseason portion of the season. Um, so what can you take from those short glimpses of Darnell in preseason action to make you kind of dream on the regular season? Yeah, just that he's ready to go. I think that's it, is that he, again, you saw the comfortability with, with Darnold in those two games. That's really important. Uh, you saw him, like you said, take him right down the field. He's comfortable in the hurry up. He's finding his weapons. Uh, guys are open. But, I mean, I think when you when you actually go back and you watch the film, like if you go back and you rewatch the game at all, and you pay attention just to Darnold, what you really like seeing too just in those games is him coming off his first read and that he's not just locking in on one guy. He's going one, two, three, one, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one. I mean, he's moving throughout his progressions uh, pretty impressively, even if it is the preseason, even if it is a, a pretty basic defense. And that's what you want to see. I mean, that and, and he looks, again, like you kind of – he's hit long balls. He's hit balls in tight coverage. He had a play uh, while it fell incomplete against the Falcons where uh, – uh, Chuma Adaga, the Jets' rookie rookie right tackle, uh, was just beat badly by by Vic Beasley around the edge. I mean, he beat him to a spot off the off you know, with some speed, just right around the outside. 
And what Darnold was able to do was take that snap, step up into the pocket, move over to the right, and then deliver a pass to Quincy Anunwa. Now the ball fell off Quincy Anunwa's hands, but still, that's a play where Darnold moved to avoid the rush, stepped up to extend the pocket, and then found his guy again. So you're seeing little things of like that, man. If vanilla offense, basic offense, sugar-free vanilla offense, doesn't matter. I mean, he's he's doing those things, and that's impressive to see him doing. So uh, I think that, that for the Jets, you, you got to be optimistic with that. I mean, like I guess look, I've seen this kid every day now, and, and I know that the one thing I, I always go back to is that throughout my – I've covered the NFL since 2014, and I've never really seen a franchise quarterback play. So I can't tell you right now that, you know, what Sam Darnold's doing is what, uh, you know, Andrew Luck did when he was younger or what Tom Brady did or what Aaron Rodgers did. I don't know because, I mean, the quarterbacks I've covered, even Eli, like I said, that first year, Manning was terrible in that new offense. And then with the Jets, it's been Fitzpatrick, McCown, uh, Geno Smith, Bryce Petty, Christian Hackenberg, Jake Heaps. I mean, those are the quarterbacks I've been covering. So I, I can't tell you that, oh, this is what a franchise quarterback looks like because I don't know what a franchise quarterback looks like because I've never seen one with my own eyes. But I can tell you that Darnold does things that no other quarterback I have covered has done. And and if the, the arrow is pointing so far up with this kid, it's just a matter of seeing it now on the game day field and him staying healthy. And, and for all intents and purposes, man, it looks like this kid's got it. And it does seem like it's the right pairing as well because you've Mm -hmm. seen there are quarterbacks that come into the NFL with all the talent in the world and they get on a bad team with not the right coaching staff and not the right personnel and they end up, whether it's injuries or they go through five coordinators in five years, it just never plays out. But it seems like this Darnold Gase marriage is the right one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's that's the thing is that it's it's a very odd dynamic, man, because they're they couldn't be more opposite. Like, Darnold is so California cool, the even mentality, yeah, man, sounds good, never gets too high, never gets too low. I mean, just a total surfer dude, chill on the boardwalk in the the board shorts, eating a hot dog, drinking, like, a latte. Like, that's pretty much what you think of when you talk about Sam Darnold. And then you have Gase, who is just crazy, right? I mean, like, he's intense, he's fiery, he's passionate. And it's yin and yang, opposites attract, but they come together and you you have a, a pairing that... It's early. I mean, we're only a couple months into this thing, but it seems like it works. That that Darnold and Gase just work well together. And if you have that that you know holy matrimony connection of quarterback coach guru, I mean, it's you're you're set. I mean, the Jets can be set for the next decade if this thing continues trending in this direction. Now, the key is is that Gase is not a defensive guy, so he needs to have a pairing of a strong defensive coordinator, which seemingly they do. And Joe Douglas is going to have to be the guy that gets the Jets the players, which you know. Are, he obviously comes with a heck of a resume, but you still need to see if he's actually going to do it. Uh, but but certainly things are, are trending in the right direction. And you have to feel optimistic with, with how this thing looks. Yeah, so stock up for Sam Darnold right now. Let's play some stock up, stop, stock down um, as far as through two games of the preseason. Just give me a couple of guys other than obviously the quarterback. Stock up. Who has surprised you and impressed you so far this summer? Yeah, two guys, man. I, I think they're uh, well. The one guy that's definitely impressed me is is Jamison Crowder. I mean, he's a guy that the Jets signed this offseason. When they signed him, I was kind of like, okay. I know I remember seeing him with the Redskins because he reminded me a lot of Victor Cruz because he wore number eighty and had the same mouthpiece and played the same position. So I was like, oh, it's like a mini Victor Cruz, and he kind of did some of the similar things. But uh, he in training camp has just been lights out. I mean, his route running is spectacular. He has this unbelievable connection already with Sam Darnold, where the guy they, they hook up time after time after time. Uh, I mean, if you want to, I'm not, I've, I'm in a little bit of a rut right now with my fantasy football team. So I don't know if you want to take this with a grain of salt, but uh, he'd be a guy that I would absolutely target because uh, I don't know if he's going to have 15, 1600 receiving yards, but I think he's going to have a hundred catches. So if you got a PPR league, 
I mean, the Jets are go to this guy time and time again. Uh, he's absolutely someone stuck up. In fact, against in that green and white scrimmage, he made a touchdown grab and another beautiful catch on a slant. So he's definitely trending upward. And a guy that uh, is, is kind of on the other side that uh, has certainly impressed the coaches, uh, Adam Gase loves this kid, is Greg Dortch, uh, the undrafted rookie uh, who's kind of stepped up as their punt returner and also seen some time in the slot. Uh, uh, they they really, I mean, the Jets really, really like this kid. Uh, in fact, I don't know if he's necessarily a quote-unquote lock to make the roster, but he's certainly trending in that way because, again, I mean, Gase can't stop gushing about this kid. And then on the stock down, it's probably Ja'Kai Polite, uh, who's the, the Jets' third-round pick at outside linebacker, really just has not made much of a difference in training camp. A lot of people thought this was going to be a kid that was going to step up and, and have an immediate impact as their outside pass rusher. He just hasn't done that. I mean, he began camp working with the third team, had a couple good practices to the Jets, elevate him to the second team. But, you know, he hasn't really made much of a difference there uh, in practice since he's been working with the the twos. In two preseason games, he really hasn't done too much either. So he's someone that's kind of, look, the Jets aren't willing to give up with him. He was considered a developmental project when they picked him. But as far as thinking he's going to make a year one impact, I think people should probably back off that. Uh, and then the other guy is obviously Jonathan Harris in the center. You know, it's it's kind of a shame to say it because he was having a decent camp and looking pretty good, and he's a great guy. But when you uh, when when the Jets go out there and they sign a center and then immediately put him in there as a starter, like they did with Ryan Khalil, uh, that obviously isn't a, isn't a good sign for the dude who was the previous starting center. So he's probably someone who stocks down. All right, we are going to have a um, ongoing segment as part of this podcast that, that has nothing to do with football, but has everything to do with. Um, your enjoyment of the game in a lot of ways, Connor. And that is, oh, it's, it's, it's something that anybody life. that follows you on Twitter is probably very familiar with this already, uh, but we're bringing it to the podcast with your permission. Oh, it's the press. <laughs> it's the press box food power rankings or hashtag PBFPR. Um, if you do follow Connor, you know, he likes to rank the food in the press boxes as, as he goes about his journey through the national football league. <laughs> um, and it seems like, this is a good good one to start on because we got a highly ranked press box out of the shoot here as far as road games in the preseason. You went to Atlanta and you ate well. Oh, absolutely, man. And, and I'm telling you, dude, like this is probably – the crazy thing is like when it started uh, was when I, uh, I was actually covering uh, – right after high school, I went to Burlington County College and I got involved with their radio station as their, one of their play-by-play guys and color commentators. And I was kind of like taught about this initiation when I first like – started there uh and it was when we would broadcast these high school football games because we didn't have a they didn't have a college football team so we would do broadcasts of the local high school games at halftime of every game we'd go down to the the press box we'd get a hot dog and we'd eat it and then at the coming out of the break into the third quarter we would rank it on a scale from like one to ten and it was uh i mean it's crazy like how like up some some of these press boxes go uh, with their hot dogs like some are grilled which is always good sometimes they toast the buns they'll have a condiment selection like it's crazy what some of these things do. so I freaking loved it it was like my favorite part of the broadcast was doing the hot dog report so when I started covering the NFL I was kind of bummed and I was like you know what I'm just gonna make it the press box rankings like I, I used to cover high school like hot dogs now let's just go pro power like pro uh uh what do you call it uh the press boxes and it's so much fun, man. I freaking love it. But, like, the cool thing now is, like, having people tweet me about what it is. And I'll have friends that say, like, they follow me just for the press. They know nothing about football. They follow just for the press box food power rankings, and it's great. But it was certainly, like you said, man, an, an impressive showing uh, by Atlanta, uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I was I, I came away pretty impressed with them. Uh, the, the main attraction was right when I had all, actually uh, another guy on the beat and I went out for, for food beforehand, so I wasn't, like, super stuffed. 
but I or I wasn't super uh, hungry when I got up there. But I walked in, and the first thing I saw to the left was a uh, Carvel soft serve ice cream machine with like a ton of toppings that you could add to it. So like crushed Oreos, crushed M and M's, uh, like chocolate and caramel caramel sauce, like all this stuff. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a very very good day. So you could put it on a cone, or you could put it in a dish. That was pretty big. Uh, they had a, a really robust uh, 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 dessert bar as well in terms of like they had um, like a bunch of cupcakes, cookies, things like that, which was good. The dinner was good too. Short rib they had. Uh, they had uh, lemon herb chicken was there. They had a salad bar and a really, really impressive hoagie stand, which I was impressed with. Like normally like you get like kind of cruddy hoagies at these things, but this was like legitimate like sandwiches and subs. So I was pretty impressed with that. And uh, it was it was all in said, man. It was it was all good. I, I had I had no complaints with that one at all. It, it checked in for me at number two uh, so far. I've ranked twenty of these stadiums now of, of all the ones I've been to. This one checked in at number two. Still trailing though, Raymond James Stadium with the Bucks. That that is still the best one that I've been to. And the highlight of that trip was at halftime they gave us banana Fosters, warm banana Fosters with ice cream, and that was like it's done, done, done deal. Great. <laughs> well, we can't end the segment without you mentioning halftime in Atlanta though, because that was. I think you buried the lead a little bit, right? Chick Fil A at halftime. That's oh, that's right. Solid. Yeah, you know, yeah. I yeah, I got people love Chick Fil A. I never like, I don't get it. I, I, I have like, you ever tried in here in New York getting Chick Fil A at lunchtime? Line no, out man. the door. Oh, I know. That's what I don't get. Like, I'm from South Jersey, so I like there are Chick Fil A's everywhere, and you can just go. It's no different than a Wendy's. Like, it's just you right. go to like a, a fast. So when Chick Fil A came to Manhattan, I was actually working in Manhattan at the time. And I remember people losing their minds over it. And still to this day, like, I don't, don't get me wrong. It's good. Like, it's it's a good chicken sandwich. But I'm like, I, I don't, like, people, lo- like, they found out there was Chick-fil-A at halftime and people were going crazy. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Maybe I just don't get it. Like, that's all, like, like even you said, like, oh, you're burying the lead. I was like, I don't, like man, people love Chick-fil-A. It drives, it drives me crazy. I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just surprised at how much people love a chicken sandwich with bread. I think Chick-fil-A is almost, it's just because for a lot of people, it's a scarcity factor. They don't see it very often. But I, oh, I, yeah. I lived in Pennsylvania for a while, so I agree with you. They were everywhere, and I got it all the time, and, and it was fine, except for on Sundays when it's closed. Yes, but, yep. But yeah, um, it brought me back when you mentioned the halftime. I used to cover the Eagles games from time to time. I wasn't there week in, week out. But I remember the Eagles would bring out cheesesteaks at halftime, which was yep. just a nice little tweak. You know, you're... You're still not hungry after eating before the game, but hey, here's a nice cheesesteak to get yep. you through the second half, and that always stood out to me. It's it's when good, the uh, it's when Link's the team good. I think just goes the extra mile to make the media comfortable, and the people at home now listening to the podcast are like, yeah, that's that's what we need is keeping the yeah. media comfortable. <laughs> the li- the, you, you hit the nail on the head though, man. The link's good. I have them at uh, number four, uh, yeah. and they've they've always been good. But the one thing I do, I have a lot of friends. Like I said, I'm from South Jersey, so a lot of my friends cover cover the Eagles and people I know in the field work over there. And they, they said that it's it's taken a step back in recent years. So I might have to uh, re-rank them. I think the Jets, uh, when are we there? We're there in October, I think, when, when the Jets play the, uh, the, the Eagles. So I'm going to make the trip up there for then. Uh, I, I think that that's going to be one where um, I, I'm going to have to double check to make sure that that's still worthy of the number four spot in here. Because I've heard it's, it's come down in, in recent years, which I'm a little upset about. All right. Well, we'll definitely check in on that. We'll have this every time you visit a road uh, stadium. I think even if it's one you've been to for the good of the podcast, oh, you we, can, re-rank we can have it. you yeah, discuss you it. Yeah. So we'll definitely have those rankings for the road games throughout the season. So a nice way to put a bow on episode one of the Can't Wait podcast. How do you feel about one episode down, Connor? I'm excited, man. It's it's fun. I think this is definitely going to be a cool little uh, addition to, to the site. It's going to be cool to kind of talk with you football every week. 
I'm excited, man. Kind of getting back to, like I said, my when I first started my career was in radio. Uh, so it's kind of cool to kind of get back to my roots a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, episode two coming up later in the week, Thursday, uh, we'll be previewing preseason game three against the Saints. If you follow the podcast, click that follow button. You'll get alerted every time we drop a new podcast. So definitely do that. If you don't follow Connor on Twitter, which you should, um, but if you don't already do it, it's at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. So uh, special thanks also to Marissa Morris, our producer. That's going to do it for episode one of Can't Wait Podcast.